0: Welcome to Changes in Latitudes, a Transgender Experience. A 40-something genderqueer person shares their observations, life stories, and the adventures of their journey through transition and beyond. And now, here's your host, the creator of it all... Charlie Sabrina Miller. Hey, hello, hello, welcome back to another great episode of Changes in Latitudes, a transgender experience. I am the hostess with the mostess. I am Charlie Sabrina Miller. And now let's listen to that band. Yeah! Oh, oh, they're great. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. This week we have Collective Effervescence. Yeah, that's kind of a strange one, kind of a bizarre one. I heard that on a podcast I was listening to, and, you know, usually when I listen to podcasts, I'm out and about. So when the idea hit me, I quickly went to my phone, made a quick note. And I forgot to mark what podcast it came from. So it was one of those discussion ones where it was either a host and a guest or, you know, two, three hosts talking together. I can't quite remember. And they, uh, said, said, said those words and said, that's the name of my next band. And I said, it's the name of my next band. Well, at least next on the list of bands. Hey, everybody. How are you? Thanks so much for being here. The main topic of this episode, I am so, so very, very proud to have this episode and this guest. It is just, it was a wonderful conversation. And that is the wonderful, the glorious, the amazing, the articulate Lee Harrington And uh, we're on part one this week, so, you know, you can figure out there's a part two coming up next week. So that's our main topic. And when we have a guest on the show, that means there is no countdown list. Right now, we're working on the 20 jokes so terrible they're actually funny. It also means we're not going to have anything over on the B-side. It also means we're not going to have any listener feedback, but don't you fret. Once the conversation is over... Once all parts of the conversation have been played, those segments will return. Don't you fret. I promise. I promise. Hello, new listeners. Welcome aboard. Usually when there's a conversation episode happening, there's usually a bunch of new listeners. So welcome aboard. This crazy show of a stream of consciousness podcast (laughs) that I make some notes. I sit down, turn on the mic, and here we go. Talk about it as it is. (laughs) Welcome. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. And of course, welcome back, long-time listeners, binge listeners, sporadic listeners. However you're listening, if this is greater than your first episode, <laughs> then you are a returning listener, and I really appreciate you being here. Now, before we get into the main topic of today's episode, let's briefly talk about last episode. I, it was uh, episode 101 that I titled, 101 Pounds of Fun. Um, <laughs> uh, and i'm sure when you first heard me i sounded extremely tired and that's because i was <laughs> the last episode was pieced together using my mobile mic and because i wanted to get it out on time and i knew i wasn't going to be able to get in front of my beautiful yeti microphone for you folks so i recorded it when i could and however i could and that's why the sound quality specifically and the tiredness in my voice may happen throughout the episode but not the entire episode only a couple segments was i really exhausted uh, I Also, I kept using the word impressionable, and I realized during the editing process, as I usually do, because again, it is a stream of consciousness, whatever comes out my mouth at the time comes out my mouth at the time, and I realized that a better word I probably should have used, or at least interchanged a few times, was uh, maybe naïve or even confused, instead of the repetition of using the word impressionable. So it got to me as I was editing the show. I hope it didn't get to you too much. And bottom line of that particular segment was most trans people are curious to find out about why we feel the way we do when we first realize, hey, something's a little different about me. Also I listed off and spoke about oh, a handful fair number of different fetishes and I want to say I said it in the show but I want to say again please realize I'm not judging anybody I'm not ridiculing anybody everybody has their own tastes their own desires their own thing when it comes to sexual fun and exploration you know and if any of the fetishes I spoke about in the way that I spoke about them may have offended you, please know I'm sorry. I never meant to offend anybody. If you're a long-time listener, you know that already. Because I'm under the philosophy of live and let live. The point I was trying to make, ultimately, is if those things work for you, that's fine. Be awesome. Own it. Run with it. But realize that this is a journey and that we all grow and change. And you have to be able to allow yourself to grow and change as you travel along this journey of life. And that's really what I wanted to talk about, at least during that particular section of last episode. You can find that and all past episodes at changesinlatitudespodcast.blogspot.com. Of course, we're over on iTunes and Stitcher, yeah, because most, if not all, podcasts are over there. We are also part of The Queer Life, thequeerlife.org, a weekly shout out to... Kaya over at the Queer Life Radio Show. Her show is on every Friday night at KBBF 89.1 out of Calistoga, California. And uh, we, we spoke, we got together, and now I am proud to be part of the QueerLife.org family. So you can also find the show there. And if you're joining us from the Queer Life, welcome. Hi. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast. Send me an email, changesinlatitudespodcast at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at CILpodcast. And if you're so inclined, cruise on over to Patreon and check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash changesinlatitudespodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash changesinlatitudespodcast. And starting with episode 100, yes, that was two episodes ago. But starting with episode 100, I am releasing an exclusive mini cast titled "Unplugged," available only on Patreon. So go check that out over at Patreon.com/slash Changes in Latitudes Podcast. This episode, our patron of the episode is none other than our sponsor of the episode, Tom Slayton. I got to give a shout out to Tom Slayton. He's such a fantastic guy. Go check out TomSlayton.com, see what he has there, explore those wonderful photos that he has, and we'll hear more about him later in the show. Now, I think we're pretty much done with housekeeping. Let's get into that main topic. Main topic. Oh, boy. As I said earlier, I am so, so excited to bring this conversation to all of my wonderful listeners and the new listeners that just want to hear more from Lee. It was such a lovely, wonderful afternoon conversation with Lee. It was in early July. And yes, I know this is September, but it took that long for the editing process and then getting it in the lineup because of episode 100 and all that wonderful stuff that you don't really need to hear about. And now here I am so proud to be able to present it to you folks. Lee Harrington, if you don't know who he is, do yourself a favor, just Google Lee Harrington. He's got some websites, I'll give them out in a moment. And look at all the wonderful thing Lee has out there on the internet He's an educator, a writer, a podcaster, a world traveler, a trans man, and just all around great person. Because we spoke for almost four hours, and that was, you know, with you know some breaks and water breaks and clear your throat, and what was I saying? And oh yeah, that's right. And then oh, can we say that again? So really, the entire conversation is about three and a half hours. So we're going to do this as three different parts because it is just so rich. I honestly say. Once you're done listening, go back and listen again. And in that three and a half hours, we spoke about so many different topics. It was in it was one of the best conversations I have had. About this topic, about these topics, in a very long time. So, check out his website, passionandsoul.com, which is also the name of his podcast, available on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also check out his book, which can be found at traversinggender.com, and of course, follow him on Twitter at Passion and Soul. Now, without any further delay, here is my conversation with Lee Harrington. Harrington, thank you so, so very much for being on my show. Uh, before we get into the deepness of our conversation, wherever it'll lead us today, because, you know, stream of consciousness, tell the audience a little bit about yourself.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I have been a sexuality, gender awareness, and communications educator for the last 15 years, uh, traveling all over the world. I actually just hit my 50 United States little pet goal. Yeah, So that was pretty exciting. I know, right? That's totally uh, exciting.
0: I haven't even I, visited all 50 states. I've barely I, left the continent.
1: It was actually my excuse. It was because I'm like, nowhere I'll never get up. Otherwise, North Dakota. Uh-huh. And the answer is Fargo is awesome. They have a vegan <laughs> wine bar. Who knew? A vegan wine bar in Wisconsin? No, no. Fargo, or North, Fargo Dakota. North Dakota. Wow. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, But so I've taught all over the world. And one of the things that I am passionate about is not just educating, but writing, podcasting. I've got eight different books out there right now. And I've been podcasting for the last six years now on the Passion and Soul podcast. And for me, I've just been so blessed in traveling around the world on both my own personal gender journey as someone who's experience life across the spectrum of gender, but also as someone who is really into connecting with human beings to get to hear a lot of different people's stories. And that's a little bit about me. And that's a great little bit about you.
0: <laughs> what spawned this uh, journey of yours?
1: When I was a kid, like a little kid, I, I, was very gender neutral. I look at photos of me from when I was a little other than when I was dressed in a dress. And there's pictures that, like, I'm across the gender spectrum as far as presentation. And, you know, I'd play with dolls, but I was also firing rocket models and all of these sorts of things. And when I hit puberty at a very young age, I grew dramatically from a gender neutral child to being now, like, to being when... uh, Uh, Gosh, I, by the time I was 14, I was five foot 10, a 38 D. Wow. Yeah, it was dramatic. And there's photos of me with my scout troop, with the four, uh, with the four girls there and me sitting in the center. And I looked like the scout leader. Wow! And in that dramatic shift, I ended up meeting my first boyfriend who was um, predominantly a gay boy. And it was I was the first, quote, girl that he'd ever um, been in a relationship with. And he said, I have a question because of how you and I are relating and very much relating to you in ways that I do with guys. Is it possible that you're transgender? And I said, but I'm not a guy in a dress Ah. because my entire capture. Right. This is the early 90s. My entire picture in my head of what it meant to be trans was stories of, you know, uh, you know, uh, tennis players, right? Right, Who right. More have, like uh, trans transition. women. Yeah. That's all I'd ever seen in the media in most of the time. Shock media.
0: Right. Uh, yes, and, of course. Shock media. Right.
1: Yeah. And that's because that's how I think about it. And he was like, no, it could be a trans guy. What are, what are you talking about? And he looked confused. Hmm. And so he introduced me to a guy and I said, wow. Uh, And I feel bad about it, but looking back, the guy's name was Raven, and I'm like, oh, my God, how many trans men from the 90s do I know named Raven? (laughs) Um, It's not a bad thing. It's just you know cultural trends.
0: Exactly. When names get popular, everybody has them.
1: Yeah, and I love it, too. And I went back home to my mom. My my parents were recently divorced, and I said to my mom, this might be a thing for me. And she said, well, if you want to go to – I can I, I can help you go to therapy if you want to and talk about this with people who will understand better. And if you want to dress more masculine at home, feel free. But I'd ask you to use your current name at school because I'm not sure how to do this. And I, and if you're not sure, like I want to make sure you're sure.
0: Right. That and, sounds fairly typical for the uh, yeah. education of the '90s. Oh, or early '90s. I,
1: blown away, actually, because the reason I stopped my transition was because my therapist at this point of two years said, Hey, I just want to do a summary of what we've been talking about for a while. And this is me kind of paraphrasing. But the last quote that I'm going to say is the actual quote. She said, so you're not especially dysphoric about your lower body. And I'm like, no, not, not really. And she said, you know, I'm I'm predominantly sexually. I'm a receptive partner. So no, not really. And she said, and you're mostly attracted to men. And I'm like, yeah, like girls are pretty. And I date them once, like I'm attracted to them once in a while, but not really. Because my story, again, of bisexual was 50-50. Okay. Um, and I was more like 80-20. And, uh, and she was like, okay. And you like wearing dresses on occasion. I'm like, yeah, they're pretty. <laughs> right. Like, I was confused about the question. And she said, why should we ever approve the creation of a fag? And that's the word she used. Wow, because we're talking mid '90s, right? 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 Makes perfect sense. And and I was blown away by the statement and shut down immediately. Hmm. And I was just like, oh, they'll never. I'll never be approved. Um, I'm not actually a guy. Guys aren't like this. Gay men are wrong. They're dying of AIDS, as are the people that I'm dating. Right? Like this is coming into having active meds. Right. But, right. Like, my first boyfriend had had lovers die of AIDS. Like oh. I had first hand experience with my first boyfriend of meeting folks that whose partners were dying uh, or had died. Wow. And, um, yeah. And and so the story about me as a bad person was immediate.
0: Oh. And yeah. so
1: I immediately stopped and decided, well, if I can't be this and I like wearing dresses, I'm gonna go high femme. Okay. And, and so I I mean, because I was I had the breasts already. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I had the stature, and I could walk in high heels, and my first girlfriend was high femme, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go from butch to high femme, and I had experienced then both of them, and I just – you know, I ended up actually becoming an adult film actress oh. when I was 19. And between 19 and 26, I spent time in the adult film industry, including it being my full-time career for about five of those years. And wow. Wow. Right, with me doing that publicly, and then my private life being very gender adventurous. <laughs> okay. Um, well, well, and what that means to me was times where I was very androgynous, times where one of my, my partners, um, I would say my sex life was as a man with him, very much so. But our public presentation was with me as his female partner. But our our two lives, of public versus private, were very divergent. Sounds like
0: it. Sounds like. And that was, did did that. Uh, we'll just say you know two sides of the coin. Did that create any tension between the two of you in a, in the relationship status? You know, behind closed doors, and then in public.
1: It was actually what ended up creating the the almost the tragedy of it. I'll say was that when I decided I actually I, I had a emotional breakdown on my twenty sixth birthday. Um, where I was on the beach because I was, I, I was polyamorous and had multiple partners that all knew about each other. And I was visiting my partner who was down in Australia and on my birthday. And I just lost it on my birthday evening. I was on a beach and I stripped off my binder because he was, he and I were very much in a gender queer. I was very much in a gender queer space around him. And I stripped off my binder and I, my shirt stripped off my binder and just started screaming on the top of my lungs. This was like midnight, right? The day turning into my birthday and said, I can't take it anymore. I want to be able to be on this beach topless. And this is ridiculous. Hmm. Like I don't empathize with my breasts. Like it. Like I don't empathize. I don't empathize with this body. I don't get it. Even if I only have a breast reduction, I mm. just can't do this anymore. And he ended up. You know, my partner down in Australia ended up held, holding me when I was crying. And I called up my my partner who I was living with, who was at the time my spouse, and said. Hey, I I think I actually need to, whether it's just to get rid of my breasts or actually transition socially and or medically, I I just can't do this anymore. And in that moment, my husband realized that he was bisexual, not bisexual. And that making out with guys and even role playing somebody being a guy was very different to him than actually being in a full-time relationship and being a spouse, both holding wedding rings with each other to a man. Mm. And I don't vilify him for that. I feel so much compassion because, wow, that's got to have been a hard path because he loved me profoundly. And I, like when we got divorced, we did it holding hands and laughing because we were still deep friends.
0: Mm. That's a good way and, to uh, to go through
1: that because I'd been debating it actively since I was a teen. When I went to go have my chest surgery, I made a decision not to go to therapists for my chest surgery because I went to therapists. I went to chest surgeons and interviewed them. They're like, you're interviewing me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I'm about to give you $10,000 and risk my boobs. So, yeah.
0: Right. It's strange how doctors don't realize that, that we, that they are our customers. We're paying them. A lot what of them was, don't realize that.
1: What was heartbreaking to me is Dr. Reardon in San Francisco, who was the first person I interviewed, his jaw almost dropped. And he said, You're the first guy to interview me. Most trans men come to him and say, Can you fix me? Mm. And I just, it, it like that hit my heart so deeply. Why do you think that that um,
0: is there in the sense of, uh, you know, trans men? Or trans women, you know, we'll say, say that at the same time, going to a doctor and saying those words, fix me versus your approach.
1: I think my experience has been because I, I now do go to therapy on a regular basis because I actually find it useful to be and around some of my gender stuff because I find it useful to troubleshoot some of my own life, not just with gender, but around life and gender in gen, uh, in general, excuse me. But most folks who go through what gets referred to as the gatekeeper system, where they have to go to a therapist who will approve the fact that they're broken enough to deserve to have their body fixed into the way that will actually be, quote, right for how they should have been. Like that language that gets used puts trans people... Into the point of being victims yes. of their circumstance. Yes,
0: it does, and I've I've covered the language thing on m- multiple shows at different times. That the language needs to change,
1: and, and and to me, there there are folks like I've I've personally danced with the discussions around bottom surgery um, because there's most trans guys don't or can't because they are profoundly cost you know, prohibitive for trans men if you're, if you're going the phalloplasty route and even still incredibly expensive if you're going the metoidioplasty or centurion route, right? Um, because there's a whole spectrum of surgical options for trans men. See, um, that I don't know. That's, oh, that's education to me. Oh, oh, like vaginectomies and urethral reroutes. There was a horrible joke by a doctor in the 70s. Um, I wish I remembered his name that was it's easier to dig a hole than build a pole. I want to say.
0: Wow. You know, I, th- I think I I've heard hor- that before.
1: I want to hear say horrible explicatives to that person, but at the same time, I understand what he's saying. Um, just logistically speaking, just physiologically speaking, the numbers of, of risk infections for urethral reroutes, um, uh, risks of infections, people have had phalloplasties and then lost them. Oh. And mind you, the number of people who do is profoundly low. Right. If you talk about the thousands of guys, the thousand guys who have had them from this one doctor in uh, in Czechoslovakia, they've had one complete rejection. Ooh. So it's a low percentage comparatively, but at the same time, it's not a zero. And that's scary.
0: Right. Exactly. Um,
1: and the number of guys who have even had because um, uh, a urethral reroute is they have to build a, they have to build a urethra.
0: I've heard of that. To pee through, right? Um, and I thought they took a vein they or did. an artery,
1: right? And and they build a new route, but it's kind of like any skin graft. Mm. You have risks of re- rejection, absolutely. Um, and so. It's financially prohibitive. it's medically prohibitive. It's not covered by most even if chest surgery is covered by some health insurance policies because you can get it written off as being preventative care for cancer um, and then plastic surgery for being able to develop a, a pa- you know a reasonable look if you're getting a, if you're going that loop for. Okay. Okay. Um, or some some packages, you know some systems that do say that we approve chest surgery. The number of places that approve bottom surgery for trans men is few. Wow. Canada, and that's... Canada is now for a lot of them. I don't know about all of the surgery options, um, but it's if you're doing surgery in country. And the number of providers who do full phalloplasty in the United States is growing. Yeah. But it's low. Uh, a lot of people go out of country and just like the number of trans women I know who go to Thailand, for example. Right. Yep. Um, and have surgery because there's just more people who have done thousands of surgeries versus however many.
0: Hundreds or less. Right. Hundreds, right. Exactly. Plus the cost is different, too.
1: Unless you're going to the folks, say, um, at, at, you know, in Trinidad, Colorado. Right. For mm-hmm. people, trans women and trans men have done thousands.
0: Yeah, right, right. Right.
1: But again, they're booked two years out.
0: If not more, one of the people locally that uh, looked into Colorado was uh, told t- three years, if I remember correctly, it was a while ago, so yeah. you know I don't remember exactly, but when they dropped the number, I was shocked because yeah. it was it was more than two. I mean two kind of seems a little reasonable with the amount of trans people out there, but three or more just seems a little bit odd if if not
1: uh but again, it's weird it's, it's a specialty. And so I think that notion of you have to be broken to have it fixed changes some folks' minds. And then other people, it's the the challenge around availability. And, and of course, are you going to get the outcome you want? Uh-huh. If the outcome concern is you can't have two holes down there because in doing so, you lose your mind. I, the number of trans men I know who even on testosterone – have breakthrough periods. The oh wow! Of dysphoria involved with bleeding every month and being a trans man is horrible.
0: I've I've heard from only a few trans men through the LGBT center here in San Diego, where uh, one shared, and I don't want to say explicit, but it, it had just happened, and this was their first chance to really talk about it. Yeah, and so all that emotion and all that pain and all that angst and just unbalanced uncentered fe- not feeling as content as they were what came through in their story and i mean and yeah. we, there was support there that's what it was it was a discussion group for support and so by the end of the evening he was better but yeah. still had a you know a, a good number of days or weeks ahead of him to to get back to where he was just two weeks or Three weeks, whatever it was at the time.
1: Well, and I know trans women who I've talked to that have similar challenges around looking down, right? Around not wanting to take off their underpants or even to go to the bathroom and have to see themselves. I've
0: heard those stories too.
1: And it's, again, these two things are not universal at all, right? Right. But But they do happen for folks, for me, I remember realizing the power of gender and the power of my femininity, and the power of boobs, when I was a scout. Right when I was a campfire kid, and I was selling candy. Right, right, outside of a you know uh, outside of a store. Right, and right. When my shirt was completely buttoned up, right, and my hair was kind of short still, right, like hair kind of bobbed and a little bit more, you know, con- you know cons- covered. Okay. Right. I'd sell like three or four boxes, you know, two to four boxes an hour. When I unbuttoned one out button up to about five, two mm. buttons, eight, wow, three buttons so that you could see my slightly lacy bra. Right, right. We were talking like 15 to 20. They're proof positive like, that
0: sex sells.
1: And I'm 14, right? I'm 13, 14.
0: Right, which is, you know, you know not a good thing to be staring at someone of that
1: age. But it's really – it was really interesting to me that my transition also brought me a profound awareness around the invisibility of man, especially the invisibility of white men in our culture. Uh. Um, Not to say that the way that black men are seen in our culture is good at all because the, the horribleness of what is happening right now around violence against black men is horrid
0: yes um oh, absolutely and, I, and and I have look, had to stop reading the articles oh, and the well, updates because and, I can't take it anymore
1: and the statistic if we're looking at trans day of remembrance of African American trans women and Latina women being murdered in our country is heartbreaking um, but as a as a white man right fully passing in our culture, that people have no idea that I, people think that maybe I'm a little bit flamboyant, maybe I'm metrosexual or gay, um, but have no clue. People who meet me nowadays hmm. um, and unless I the, the fact that I have some visible tattoos, I appear a little bit. Um, but when I was wearing plain slacks, button down shirt, decent shoes. Like I disappeared. Hmm. And I just vanished. And like it or not, as a woman, I was seen. Mind you, not always seen in the way that I wanted to be. But it was really interesting to just suddenly dissolve. Mm. And to go from, for example, women's bathrooms where you can say, do you have some toilet paper? I'm out. Or you have a lovely shirt. Or, oh, you have a stain. I've got something for that. Mm. To being in a men's bathroom where even making eye contact is almost in some places an invitation for violence. Yes. Yes. And I am convinced, and I have no proof of this, but I am convinced for myself and a couple of other trans guys I've talked to that one of the reasons that so many trans men go through violence and depression is not just the testosterone, but the fact that we are suddenly faced with the fact that we as men are told by our culture to be violent and or not seen as compared to being seen every day whether we want to be or not mm. um and it's, it's, it's sad. it is
0: sad it is it is and I, and I I've, I've I mean I've experienced my experience with uh, you know going male to female yeah. and some of the people I've talked to whether they've been on the show or not I've shared their stories, and I've always have been curious with the perspective from a trans man going, well, essentially in the opposite direction.
1: Well, actually, I, I, a funny bathroom story. I would, was so paranoid about using men's bathrooms. And I finally was hanging out with a whole bunch of gamer friends, right? Because at the time I was still playing a lot of like Dungeons and Dragons kind of stuff. Okay, Actually, you know, White Wolf, but whatever. (laughs) Um, You know, for the nerds listening, I'm more that side of the nerd spectrum, but I do still play (laughs) D&D. And and I was hanging out with some gamer friends and I half-heartedly mentioned this. And the biggest guy in the group, right? We're talking like 300, 350 pounds was like, dude, I always use the stalls, and I'm like, what? And he's like, I'm fat. I I don't want to be lifting and maneuvering my belly to use a urinal. People just end up looking at me. It's awkward.
0: I never and, thought of that, but you, yeah.
1: And another guy said, I always use the stalls because I'm ridiculously pee shy. I don't even like using public stalls at all. But if I'm in an airport, I have to. So I just go in the stalls so that nobody's looking at me. mm mm-hmm. And this other guy, like, very, like, quietly waited for a second. He said, dude, I have a Prince Albert piercing. That's all I'm going to say. Like, And then afterwards, he's like, I'm a little bit of a sprinkler system. (laughs) Well, the
0: sacrifice for having something like that.
1: Well, and the fact that we had eight guys at the table and now total of four of us didn't like using the urinals at all, if we didn't have to, like, that was such an eye opener and such a. Heart relief for me as a trans man. I'll bet. Because I had this paranoia that I was somehow being stared at and seen as different. And to have three other of my friends be like, dude, you're not special. Actually was kind of relieving. <laughs> oh,
0: absolutely. Of course. Of course. Because there's, well, power in numbers. It, it made it normal. Yeah. you know in in your mind where where you might think that all guys use you know the the urinals versus the stalls unless they have to use the stalls for the obvious reason right. meaning meaning going number 2 to finding out that no here 50% of your group chooses to sit down and be private or stand and be private depending on how they use the stall and and that's where they're most comfortable yeah i mean that just that just must have been like a big warm hug in, in a certain sense.
1: Yeah. Mind you, I still had to learn subcultural etiquette, right? And Because and, like there's cultural etiquette, like being in America, right? Which right. is different than cultural etiquette of being in England, right? So you learn your cultural etiquette and then you re- learn your regional etiquette, right? How you – do you order a soda or a pop? Right. 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 Regional etiquette. Um, But gender is also a cultural slash subcultural etiquette in our country. And so in women's bathroom, I learned the cultural etiquette that if somebody asks for toilet paper, you pass it under. Right. Right. Because somebody's sitting on the stall already. Right. So you're going to, you're going to pull it off and then you're going to pull it, you know, push it under, not holding onto it too tight. So that, and and kind of using your hand from underneath, they can easily reach down and grab. Okay. Right. You learn, you learn the system. Okay. Um, but for trans women, I know they don't know the system. They're asked for toilet paper and they're just like, uh, um, okay. And do I pass above or below or okay. And so you've got to learn the system. And so for men's rooms, I had to learn if you're waiting for the stall, you stand to the side, you keep your head down so that you can barely kind of see the stalls, but you're not looking at anyone else. And if you see somebody line up, you can kind of be like the stalls are free. And you kind of like whisper it kind of under your tone so that you don't draw attention to yourself. You just kind of are. And I did that by watching another guy who was waiting for the stalls in front of me and then another guy. And I'm like, okay, cool. I can do this here. This is what it's like that if I'm at a basketball game, this is how it's done you order your beer like this and (laughs) and it's things that little boys have been watching their dads or their uncles or their grandfather do. Right. And they've picked up their entire life. It ends up being the difference between an ask culture and a watch culture,
0: you know, Mm. as, as
1: far as learning things like an ask culture is, you know, you wander into a dance club for the first time and you ask somebody who's been there for a while. You say, what's the best drink around here? Or what kind of music do you like? Like, that's an ask culture. Right. That there's freedom to ask cultures in this space. Um, You know, you go to a college for the first time and you're going to the orientation. That's an ask culture space if you're a freshman. Right. Right. Makes perfect Uh, sense. But if I'm going to a bathroom, that's not an ask culture space. (laughs) No,
0: no. No, it is not. And and speaking of ass culture, I don't understand why some people insist on carrying on conversations, whether it's at the urinal or between the stalls. I don't get it. I mean, unless it's only the two of you, and you you quiet up when you hear footfalls. But even still,
1: if you're at a gay nightclub. Right. right, okay, okay. Asking questions is cruising. I get it. Right. Right? Like, you know, or you're peeing and you only have the half stall because they're trying to make sure that nobody is fucking in that men's stall. Oh,
0: God. Oh, God. I've only been to a couple dive bars that have that, oh but yeah. God.
1: Right. And so, like, somebody half peeks over you and you're like, ah, oh, hello. Yeah. Right. Like, you kind of like just kind of mind your own junk and you're like, hello. Can I help you? Right, so
0: like, right. While we're still on the topic of bathrooms, while I'm thinking about it, um, because some of the conversations and some of the thoughts I've had as I've you know discovered my gender journey, I in the very not so much now, but in the very beginning, I was always kind of I don't want to use the word worried, but conscious of the sound the urine makes as it hits the bowl. Oh, Is that oh, something yeah. that you went through or, or oh, to go through? Absolutely.
1: Or? Mine wasn't the way that it hits. It was how long I was peeing mm. and the fact that I wasn't defecating.
0: Well, defecating right? could be a silent thing, so I'm okay to, to not hear that or right. you know, figure but the it fact out. That,
1: like I would just have because sometimes because just like how some people's bladders, whatever, like I, I find that sometimes women pee for a longer duration of time.
0: Yes, they can. And then there are some that just let it all out like they're dumping a cup of water.
1: Yeah. And either way, it's really loud or really long. Yes. And and I wasn't experiencing men in the restroom doing that.
0: Right. Exactly. I
1: I had this paranoia. And again, the dudes didn't care. They were like, nobody else is listening to your pee. That's what the women have told me. Right. No
0: one cares. (laughs) Only we. Only we are hearing our pee against everyone else's
1: and wondering, is anyone else listening? Right. It's like that one zit next to an ear. Nobody else sees your ear zit. Nobody cares about your ear zit. Whatever your gender is. Right. Nobody cares. (laughs) It's true. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing, because it's so goddamn true. But here we are in front of the mirror in the morning being, oh my god, an ears. it. Do I pop it? Do I not pop it? Is it weird? Do you cover it up with something? Yeah, do right. Do I grab base? Right. Do or I grab I base? This? Does,
0: the, does the hair cover it? Do do glasses cover <laughs> it? What about a hat? Yeah. <laughs> oh. And in the reality, nobody else cares. Nobody sees it. Nobody
1: and cares. Yet, and yet, for me, um, so I've written a book recently called "Traversing Gender: Understanding Transgender Realities." And that's the sample you sent me, right? That's I sent the yes. sample of that book. Yes, wonderful. Thank you. And for no, me, thank you I, for writing
0: it. I mean, thank oh, you for yeah. sharing. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. But more so, thank you for putting these words on paper. And I've only seen the the description of your other books on your website. But I just thank you for putting it out there. We need more stuff like that.
1: Well, I don't talk about bathrooms in it much, other than the fact that people should be able to go to the bathrooms they need to go in. Uh and some of the challenges that people have emotionally with, you know, if you're wearing a gaff as a trans woman holding various things in a way that you want them to be held. Yep. Um, or you're not – I shouldn't call them things, various parts of your body, just like various cisgender women I know wear bras that form those parts of their body into the way they want to be seen.
0: Exactly, um, yes.
1: It's the same exact idea. And as a side note, it's really hilarious to me when people go, oh, but you took off your underpants and it's not how I looked at – you looked and I'm like – and when somebody took off their bra for you to have sex, and you expect be <laughs> and they had a small B, like we right. all do that, honey. Right. We all do it.
0: Exactly.
1: Right? Um, doesn't matter your gender. We all use clothes to change our appearance. Yeah. Um, as RuPaul says, we come out naked at birth. The rest is drag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. Um. But uh, for me, it was important to write the book because so many of the discussions that were happening out there, whether we're talking from authors that were talking about trans experience or people who were trans talking around personal experience, so much of it was about that broken model or starting with the mental health conversation model. Or starting with the assumption that there's only two major journeys out there for talking about transgender journeys, right? You're either male to female or female to male, and the binary is the only option. And um, oh, and the, the options that are listed in America are the only options. Oh, and yeah, right, right. Of everybody is somehow middle to upper class and have, has access to healthcare options and realities. Uh, and for me, it was really important to write a book. That said – as somebody who had gone on a gender journey, right, of consciously becoming femme, for example, Uh and consciously choosing to be bi-gender for a while or androgynous for short periods. Like it was important for me to have discussions about the fact that there's a huge spectrum – of gender journeys out there from people who are bigender, gender, androgynous, trans women, trans men, but also two spirit or people who are third gendered, uh, you know, experiences from around the world, from Mukse to people who are Katoe to people who, you know, have these various experiences, um, or sworn virgins in Albania, or you know, I found something like fifty different ones that were easily citable um, around the world. To people who were agender uh, or uh, or demigender. I loved learning the fact that Pete Townsend from the Eagles, the drummer from the Eagles, identified as demigender. Really? And he used the word demigender, but he said, I'm a guy, except for, you know, when I'm not.
0: Hmm. I had no clue. And now let's take a brief break and hear from Tom Slayton. When you need a professional who specializes in writing, photography, or web design, contact Tom Slayton. At Tom's website, TomSlayton.com, you'll find brilliant WordPress themes, discounts and links for fantastic online services, and sage wisdom from the master himself, Tom Slayton. TomSlayton.com even features a wonderful eclectic collection of photographs seldom seen elsewhere. Visit TomSlayton.com. That's T-O-M-S-L-A-T-I-N.com. Yes, TomSlayton.com. Folks, go show Tom some love. Go visit TomSlayton.com. Check out everything he has there. This week we're talking about TomSlayton.com forward slash suspended in time. And, again, this is one of his photos, and it caught my eye by the thumbnail as I was perusing his website. And I said, what the hell is this? Because, you know, the title suspended in time, I was expecting some sort of watch or clock or, you know, something encased in ice or a cabinet or plastic or something, who knows. And I couldn't figure it out, so I pulled up the page and saw the picture in its, all its glory, and it is a run-down, broken-down merry-go-round. Two specific horses are in the in focus on this merry-go-round that is just frozen in time looks like it's in the middle of the forest or the forest has grown up around it and to me these pictures say so much because what happened to this location to get it to the point where we're seeing it now what's the story it's just an amazing amazing thing so go check out tomslayton.com forward slash it in time and check out the photo i was just talking about and tell them charlie sent you Now back to my conversation with Lee Harrington.
1: I loved learning the fact that Pete Townsend from the Eagles, the drummer from the Eagles, identified as demigender. Really?
0: He
1: used the word demigender, but he said, I'm a guy, except for, you know, when I'm not. Hmm. I had no clue. That's what demigender is, right? It's you have a base gender experience, except for when that is not how you match for that, you know, for other periods of your experience, but you have a base experience. Hmm. And so I want to talk about this variety. I want to talk about the fact that people who are journeying, who who have decided or experienced themselves or understand at six that they're a boy. Even if you assigned them female at birth, they know they're a boy. It's not an experience. It's not a theory. It's a knowledge. It's a truth. It is a fullness of of personal reality at seven is very different than that light bulb going off for somebody who's 67. Mm Mm-hmm two very different journeys and saying that there's only one trans, you know, only one type of trans man or one type of trans woman isn't real. And I also want to talk about the fact that if we're talking about health, we have to talk about social health, just as much as we have to talk about medical health, just as much as we talk about sexual health and mental health. Mm. You can't Have it just be one piece of the picture and that medical health needs to not just be a discussion around are you on hormones, but a discussion about are we able to go into a waiting room at a hospital and be seen for our broken leg without being publicly shamed or outed for our legal first name?
0: Mm, Right, right.
1: Or somebody finding out that we're transgender and saying, I'm sorry, I can't take care of you when what's wrong is that you have a spleen issue. You know what? Everyone has a spleen. That's not a male, female or somebody who's gender, you know, gender expansive, you know, thing. That's that's a spleen. Yeah. Everybody has it. Everybody has a a spleen. You, spleen specialist, don't need to know about everything that trans people go on. And if you're talking about the fact that, oh, this person is female-bodied and they're on testosterone, you know what? There's a lot of cisgendered women who are on testosterone. Yes, there are. And that's already in the medical books and has nothing to do with transgender experience. My big thing in the medical section, I want to advocate— Across reality, across gender, across the world for a little box on all intake paperwork, on all administrative paperwork, not just in hospitals but in hospitals especially, that says preferred name Hmm. for everyone. Because the number of people I know named Robert who go by Bobby,
0: huge. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Most people – Never use their birth name. I don't use, I mean, I use a variation of my birth name, but I've never gone by it unless it was official
1: documentation. My husband, my former husband, used his middle name. And his father used his middle name. And when anybody called, because they both have the same first name, and when anybody called their house and used the first name, they knew that it was, you know, somebody who was doing a sales pitch. Right, right. And I've heard that story before
0: so many times that people use their middle names. Or, you know, the father, there's a, you know, the senior and a junior. And so usually the father goes by either the first name or the middle name. And then the junior goes by usually the opposite, the first name or the middle name. That's a very common thing,
1: especially here in the States. Wouldn't it be great if across the gender experience that it didn't matter that that option would be right there and we could take care of it for people, whether they are transgender or otherwise. And to me, I include things like that in the book because it helps people who aren't trans understand how these things apply to their personal lives so they can start understanding it on a skin level, in ways that they can empathize with immediately, because if Robert is reading this and going, "I hate it when people call me Robert," oh wait, I bet it, so- but somebody who was born Robert and goes by Elizabeth would hate it too, right? Suddenly, they get it. Mm-hmm. That center person suddenly understands it, mm-hmm. or having an advocate, you know, or you know, or an ally. Say, oh, I hate it when people assume my spirituality or hate it when people assume that because I went to college for this, that my degree, you know, that this is how I work or whatever the experience is. Or I hate it when people say to me, oh, you're divorced. I'm so sorry. When you were abused by your spouse and your statement is I am celebrating that I am divorced. Right, right. And to have those little moments of aha, of empathy helps too and then of course i have an entire chapter that's about things like people who are disenfranchised because they don't have health insurance because of their socioeconomic reality people who are come from different racial backgrounds people who are transgender and disabled whose care providers refuse to have them dress in the way that they experience themselves like we have to talk about those things too, and so this book sounds really big. It's not the the book itself is like two hundred forty pages, but the book reading is one hundred eighty pages because the rest of it is citations. Oh wow! For, for all of those naysayers and medical providers and mental health providers and people who are pol- politicians who need the citations. Ah, <laughs> uh, right, right. Because they do. Um, And I am fine with that. But I made the book really readable with little citation numbers so that folks who are in those realities can go over here. So you can hand this book to your doctor and be like, this is me. And there are citations for you to learn more about where you can learn more. And then references and resources. um, Resources because I want people who have transgender children to be able to have eight places they can go as well as being able to have people who are 67 and transitioning to be able to go and find six or seven resources for them. And since I was freaking out when writing the book, like I actually had like a bit of a breakdown mm-hmm. around this issue, around which resources to include, because there were so many of such a diverse expanse of, um, I wouldn't necessarily say usefulness, but but having very niche audiences, um, in some cases, and so I built a website which is called traversinggender dot com that is specifically for not just the resources that I have in the book, but for other ones, especially ones that people keep sending me and Please, if you see stuff that isn't on the website or the book, please fill out the little form to submit more because I want more because more are coming out every day. And we deserve to have a huge resource listing, and there are some great ones out there on um there's a couple of uh, there's an a gender and gender queer website that I'm not remembering right now that has a huge resource list for those two populations that I think is awesome um, and I want to be able to send folks there uh, to be able to have a, a system there and as a trans person, I also kind of wrote the book because it's the book I could have I wanted to be able to hand my mom.
0: Mm, right the same reason i do this podcast is it's something that i wish i had when i was asking all those questions about myself
1: that's awesome and thank you for doing this podcast it needs to exist well
0: you're welcome and thank you uh which actually i i I was curious because you you reached out to me and so i wanted to say how did you find me
1: and my show (laughs) so what i did is um So I've done education a lot at universities and a lot in um, sexuality orientation and behavior-based communities are are my base communities. I've taught at a couple of like LGBT centers and whatnot in my, my spectrum over the last 15 years. But the trans community is something that I'm usually more a member of, not a speaker in historically. Okay, right, right. And so for me, the things that I have more knowledge and awareness of is trans men because that's my own personal path. Right. And so it was important for me to be like, okay, this book, I don't I don't want it to just be it's not just for trans men. It's for people across the gender experience as well as for their allies and advocates and health providers and politicians and naysayers and people who are just confused cuz their coworker just came out as being trans and what do they do?
0: Right. And And they want to be the best that they can, but they're afraid to ask those questions.
1: Exactly. So here's a book you could read so that you don't have to ask those questions and you can actually just be supportive and call them by their new name.
0: Yay. Right. Um, I mean, that's the short answer right there.
1: That's the short answer. Um, And so it was really important to me that I literally typed in transgender podcasts and I came up with a list of a whole bunch of different ones.
0: Yeah, I've done the same.
1: And then I posted a list and said, has anybody listened to any of these? And somebody on my Facebook feed, which has 3,500 some odd people. Actually, technically, if I added everybody in my, you know, my please add me list, I would hit over. No, sorry, it's at 4,000 some odd. Oh. If you hit 5,000, um, you can't add anymore.
0: No, no, that's the so cap. So I
1: purposefully have a little open space open in case friends of mine, like who I know. Right, right. Add me. Um, and I try to send everybody else over to my fan page where I have a really rich dialogue as well. But I on my personal page I posted this little post saying and somebody on my feed um, said, Oh yeah, I've listened to that one, it's pretty good. So some random person on Facebook said, You're pretty good. They might have even said awesome. I don't recall <laughs> at this point because it was months ago. Right. Um, and so that's the folks that I started contacting because it's somebody, you know, it's it goes back to the idea of friend of friends. Yes. And the number of people who have reached me or my work or dropped me a little quick question via email or Twitter or, you know, whatever it was, you know, because I'm on way too many social media platforms at this point. (laughs) Um, No, seriously, if you go to my website on the right-hand side, I have links to like, oh, you want to add me on YouTube or LinkedIn or this or – because it's everywhere. Um, Wow. In a good way, right? I I love having connections with – like and make – that I live in a reality that, gosh, if this had been 1995 and I'd had something other than, you know, alt dot whatever dot whatever – um, right. And, and where my reality was.
0: <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've had what we now call a blog since 1998. So. Um, wow. Yeah. Back when we called them an online journal. An online was,
0: journal. Yeah. Back I, on
1: I, pceasy.com. Uh, I,
0: I, even I don't remember that. <laughs>
1: oh, my God. It was bad. I mean, it was good. I'm glad it existed. But. um Well, it existed
0: because it led us to where we are now.
1: But for me, I am grateful that folks, uh, you know, people who know people who – because that's how we get information that we appreciate. It's Mm -hmm. somebody saying, oh, my God, I read this book and it's actually got something in it. I read this – I heard this podcast. It's got something. I talked to this person. I should see if I can pass on their name to someone else. I, I refer to it as awesome people should meet awesome people. Wow. Yes, they should. And I do that all the time, that when I go to a conference in Calgary, I drop an email to a friend of mine in Austin and say, hey, I met this person. Can I give them you, your phone number or email or what do you want? Because this person was into this really obscure topic, too. Um, yeah, mm. it's it's important. And... I'm really glad that folks like yourself and people out there like Esper Bergman and Laverne Cox and Ignacio Rivera and like that there are folks doing the having these conversations around trans rights and trans perspectives that need to be out there in a world that is only a world that is leaning towards producing voices of shock media concerning people in the the 1%. Right. Uh, and we deserve voices across the spectrum. And I love the fact that we through the internet and through people transcribing work out there can get those voices going. And personally, I love it even more when I am seeing word of mouth flyers being posted in Brooklyn because posting on Facebook is great, but know who it's not going to reach? Folks who are in a socioeconomic reality, who their entire internet experience is the 10 minutes they get at the Brooklyn Public Library because that's they don't have a computer at home. And oftentimes those are the voices and those are the people we need to have, not just giving our information to But getting their stories back out, it's the voices of trans women and trans men who are incarcerated right now. I have a friend of mine who's in a women's prison in West Virginia, and there are two trans men who are in her prison. Mm. And I sent her a copy of my book because they're allowed to receive things if they come straight from the publisher.
0: Oh, that's good to know.
1: Um, And in some cases, and it's a well, if it's listed as a not like a create space document, but if it's listed as an actual known publisher straight from Amazon. And so finding prisons to get this information to and in in return, finding places where those trans men, trans women and gender spectrum folks can send their stories back out because their stories need heard too, Mm -hmm. not just those of us who can afford health insurance and those of us who run podcasts.
0: Right. Or write books.
1: Or write books.
0: Yeah. Or even give lectures. Yeah, I had uh, uh, Christine Newman a few episodes back as a guest, and she's in Toronto, a big, huge advocate out there. And she, you know, messages me on Facebook, sends me an email, and constantly, oh, I was here doing this talk this night, and I was over here doing this talk the other night, and I mean, she is all over that city, and it is so wonderful to have her voice. Heard. I mean, if you haven't heard the conversation, go back. I don't know, ten, maybe twenty episodes from now. Okay, and it's labeled. It's Christine Newman, part one and two. She's she's awesome. wonderful. She's an She she does some freelance writing on uh, different uh, internet sites too, and and listens to the show. So hi, Christine. <laughs> and um, she I am just. It was honor to have her on the show, but to hear what she's doing with what she can, with, with her tools, yeah. you know, my tools are a podcast, your tools are a book and a podcast and, and then teaching, which I want to get into. And then just tra- traversing the globe, sharing this, this story, this journey, this knowledge is, I, I, I won't lie. I am a slight bit envious because well, and, what an experience.
1: Well, and to me, the thing that I feel so blessed about is because some of the travel is less than glorious, shall we say? Well, it usually um, is. Yeah. And, and some of it's awesome, and I get profoundly spoiled some places. And it's like, yay, Washington University. I love St. Louis and other places where I'm like, ooh, I am teaching in a barn in a cornfield in the middle of nowhere in South Dakota. <laughs> Do you know who has a similar story about
0: travel? Stand-up oh. comedians. Oh, my God. Stand-up I comedians, should... it's the same thing because they have to pay their way to the club. However, you know, if they're booked in New York and they live in California, they pay out of their pocket to get to New York and they hope that it covers just the airfare because usually they're, you know, put up in some place, but the airfare is what they need to cover. Yeah. And last time I looked to go from, which has been a while now, to go from California to New York was, you know, it was, if you get a deal, it's a good deal. But if, you know, in a safe sense, like getting a booking and you only got six weeks to put it together could be you know just shy of a grand
1: well for me the blessing is actually less about being the person on the stage oh no i'm not person... comparing you to a stand-up well, you know. please don't get me wrong well, no no oh, no, actually, no. I'm i said just the up comedy as a note i do do stand-up comedy do from really? time to time so well no um, wonder i'm just... laughing
0: at your delivery and your timing oh. it, you uh, as someone else of the performing arts who <sighs> i i've written jokes in the stand-up fashion but i don't want to go through that journey, if there's an open mic night and I'm up for it, yeah, maybe, but my thing is more of a, of a show, a production. You know, you get it yeah. so many weeks rehearsal and then you get up in front of the audience. But well, uh, yeah, say, your delivery whether, and timing is perfect.
1: Whether I'm doing a one-person show, you know, at, at an arts festival or more of the time when I'm teaching, what's amazing to me is going out to coffee or dinner with some of the attendees afterwards. And I always limit it to eight because I start to get like slightly anxious because of keeping up a conversation with more than eight people. Um, yeah, that's tough. That's, that could be tough. Yeah. Um, and eight's about what you can get a large table for at a restaurant without Uh-oh. shouting. True, true. Uh, true, <laughs> true. And like sitting down with a trans woman, a Christian trans woman, when I was uh, in rural Ohio and um, and her – story and her struggle around the fact that she was also deeply spiritual and her parents' acceptance and I would never have gotten that story as somebody whose parents I, my parents could agree on how to raise me. And so therefore they told me to go to everything and they both had opinions that I should follow their personal paths. But because they argued about it, I got such freedom that this woman never got And to see the fact and talking to her about the fact that when she went home, even though she was fairly far far into her transition, she had to pull her hair back in a ponytail and had to like, you know, dress herself properly and put a binder back on Mm. to be able to go home. I've I've, uh, heard of some stories
0: like that. I think a couple YouTube stories or blog stories over over my years of trying to figure myself out. It just, it's not a story I haven't heard before. And it's, it's uh, hearing a story like that actually kind of kept me back in the closet when I first heard about it. It's like, oh shit, I don't want to have to deal with that.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. And as a trans man, the fact that I stayed up with a group of nerds at a college, you know, I mean never been gifted that and now the fact that i can tell that story to y'all like that gift it's like i i feel like i am you know like uh like a what's a pack rat Mm. (laughs) of stories that the right moment will come up and i could be like oh here i've been carrying this for you right right i get it i get it so to me, that's the, the real blessing. Um, not to say there aren't some really cool moments that came out just because of travel. But uh, but yeah, so teaching. You had a question about Yeah, that.
0: well, it wasn't a question. It was uh, the, the little bit I, I, I looked up was, you know, sexual educator yeah. w- was what came up. And I just I wanted to hear from you, you know, one, by
1: your definition, what is that? And two, um, how did you get into that? So, uh, funny story on both. Uh, so, 15 years ago, I was, as I mentioned, an adult film actress. And my special.
0: Which see- blew my mind. To be quite yeah. honest, I, I never would, never would have guessed that, but okay. C- oh, continue. And it's,
1: I actually get, I had to rewrite one of my books cause it featured photos of me pre-transition and people kept asking me if Bridget Harrington was my sister Oh, and I'm like, cause she looks a lot like you, but like, you've got a wider jaw and like, and I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, I need to reach, redo this book. <laughs> um, but so I had these moments And so I was 15 years ago, mid, mid uh, career, and I my specialty at the time was what we shall call uh, intense sensation, right? What some people might call BDSM. Oh, okay, yes, I've heard that definition. Or whatnot, erotic restraint, Um, and not necessarily some of the more hardcore stuff that's out there nowadays. um, You know, a decade later, but or 15 years later now, um, but a lot of really stuff in that genre. And I was traveling for some of my work in that field. And I had, you know, I was back at home in Oregon of the time and I had somebody say, Hey, that thing you do, can you teach us a class? Cause it was kind of sexy. Hmm. And I went, Okay. And so it was fifteen people in a living room in Corvallis, Oregon. <laughs> right? It wasn't like it was what it was. And people heard good stuff about that class and said, hey, that topic, could you do that here at this class in Portland? And I went, sure. And then I had a lover in New York who said, hey, I heard you've been doing these things over in Oregon that are not just that, you know, one topic about erotic restraint, but doing a whole bunch of stuff about everything from, you know, keeping safer sex sexy to uh, to doing stuff with people on, you know. Take down and rough sex and what like you're doing this stuff can you do that while you're visiting us in New York hmm. and I'm like totally sure and they're because like, it's at this conference and I'm like can I have a free entry to the conference it sounds like a cool con and they're hmm. like sure and the guy was and the guy I was dating was like and you can sleep with me and I'm like awesome because you're fun <laughs> and right so that made it easy and suddenly within four years three or four years I had a resume <laughs> that said that i taught in like eight different states at six different you know at like these all these different conferences and at all these different groups and it looked really cool so it was pure happenstance is how it started and then at that point um i went you know what it's fun, but it's starting to feel like, you know, I need a little bit more than just entry to a con to feel good about it. And right. so I decided to ask like, hey, can you also cover my hotel if I'm going to teach like more than two classes? And this is how peace at a time, it became a career. And when I decided to transition, right, uh, in uh, end of '6, I was already starting to move out of the adult film industry because the further along I decided to go on my journey, the more niche I ended up becoming as far as who would hire me. Because uh, I couldn't do completely, uh, you know, quote, vanilla, you know, like guy, you know, says, hey, at a bar, want to go home with me? Like, pop, those plot <laughs> lines just didn't sell anymore. Um, I could still do hot queer porn. I could still do stuff. Like I ended up actually early in my transition, I did a really fun thing with Handbasket Productions, which is a trans woman who shoots um, trans women who are not she-males, which is cool. I'm all pro people who identify as she-males. Um, but it was, it was trans women having hot trans woman sex with people that they wanted to. And I ended up um, early on in my transition so I'm playing with somebody. So it was a trans guy with a trans woman. Um, okay. Which was really fun. And, but mostly once I transitioned, like there was very few people that would hire me anymore. And I made a decision that, uh, that I was going to take it full time. And luckily, uh, five years earlier, I would written a book on, uh, erotic restraint that was very loving, very sexy, easy, fun, step-by-step photos. That's the one that I ended up reshooting. And I'm so glad a decade later that I reshot it hmm. because it's so much better, like it's just, it's color. It's more readable. I love it. I'm very proud of the second edition. But uh, I'm glad the first one happened. But to me, it was really important to have like a dummy's guide to this stuff because people I was running into were like doing really unsafe state, you know, stuff in their bedroom. And it was just not. I mean, not only was it not safe, but it also wasn't hot because you're trying to figure out how to get somebody out or their hands are falling asleep and it's interrupting having a good time with your partner. And I was talking with folks across the gender spectrum about the fact that, you know, getting tied up, it didn't have a gender to it. Right? Anybody of course can get not. if they consent to it and negotiate ahead of time about what they want. Do they want to do something that makes them feel pretty, something that makes them feel helpless, or help, has something that makes them feel curled up and safe? And so I did a book on that. And every couple of years I end up doing a different book, one on uh spirituality and how it um it's called uh sacred kink. So it's very for- various forms from uh from uh tantra through to people who do uh you know, people who do stuff with bondage or people who do stuff with impact. Uh, so spanking and flogging and whatnot. And uh-huh. how those interact with the history of spiritual practices and how people have those moments of altered states of consciousness in sexuality nowadays. And I did, a, you know, I've done all these different books. Uh, and over time, I've done, like, I think I'm at book number eight right now, plus some a uh, two that I've edited. And... I decided that this book, like, I was planning on doing my trans book a few books for a few years from now. And I had, you know, a certain person come out in the 1% in mass media, and people were doing research and information on that person. And I was like, why is this person getting all of this information when they're giving out some bad information in some cases? And the books that are out there, I'd gone to the um, Philadelphia Trans Health Conference and some of the books that were out there are awesome. And other ones, I'm like, wow, they're really biased to a really really particular perspective and or they're very medical jargon. They're Mm. hard to read. And so I had a friend of mine say, hey, I know you've been thinking about this book, but you know that right now is the time the world needs it. And I'm like, but I don't want to write it. I don't have the energy and I don't have the whatever because I knew it was going to be hard on my heart Mm. because I had to do research about the counter arguments and reading stories about why transgender is, doesn't exist is really hard. Reading stories about conversion therapy is really hard. It is.
0: I've uh, not read much because it is so difficult to get through because it just, to me, it comes from such an ignorant mind.
1: Yeah. And I feel there are pieces of it that come from anger, but there's so many pieces of it that come from sorrow and pain and suffering that I have not, like, there's a lot of people who are angry at folks in that population, but I also just feel so sorry for them. Not, like, in a, like, pity but in a, I hope you find love in your heart way, because mm. it's something right now that's holding love back. And it's one of the beautiful things that I'm seeing right now is this expansive conversation that's coming up in transgender communities around finding this place of love for each other, not just shutting down around people not being trans enough. Which was <laughs> the- That's
0: so funny. I just had, I just had an uh, episode by that exact same title.
1: Right, because like it's still happening, but compared to where I was on my journey 10 years ago when I started my medical transition, it's fewer. Um, And that gives me hope. The number of voices that are starting to be seen out there and public powwows that are happening for the two-spirit community, um, that gives me hope um, that these voices are being heard more and more. And so for me, it was an important project to have happened, And actually the hardest thing for my heart that happened is that I decided to, for better or worse, I decided to post a outline of my chapters and sub chapters and ask opinions on if there, I'm missing any major categories. And I had a trans woman of color write me and say, um, and wrote me, wrote publicly on the post first and said, I can't believe it's yet another white cis, you know, a white trans man who passes as as heterosexual in his day-to-day life with a female partner, blah, 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 writing another book on this shit, blah, blah, blah. And it was so angry. And I say blah, 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 because I don't remember the exact words, not as a way to demean her statements that were so truly from the heart. And I froze looking at this statement and I finally got my energy together and wrote publicly saying, I would love to have a conversation with you about it. Are you OK with me writing you privately? Because I want to make sure that your voice is heard in this dialogue, too. And mm. she said, whatever. And I'm like, OK, mm. I'll take that. I'll take that as a yes. Um, and so I wrote her and said, what am I missing? How can I have your voice seen, et cetera? And her response was, it's not my job. tell you what to do it's our job to lift up more voices that need to be heard and I said do you have any other authors do you have any trans authors of color that I can lift up because I am in a place of privilege where I have a platform please give them to me so that I can blog so I can do reviews so I can get it out there and her response was I don't know of any and that's part of the problem And so if there are any trans people of color listening to this podcast, whose voice is ready to be seen and heard in writing, the world is hungry for you. So please feel free to contact me. I've got links with different publishing companies out there. Please contact me or reach out to others, whether it's a biography or whether it is struggles that you've gone through whether it's how to information your voices need heard because representation is how diversification happens right it's it's just like the government if you know taxation without representation is a problem um and so it is with you know fighting for struggles without representation for all of the people present is huge And and so having her email, though, still hurt because I realized I had to struggle with the fact that I was yet another white man telling everybody how it should be. And I had a whole crisis like I had probably a good 36 hours of crises, 24 to 36 hours where I just was like, I can't write this book. Mm. I'm a horrible person. I'm yet another white guy. But like I just like I had to close all my computers and had to close all my notes and throw that like. Because I just couldn't do anything else. And um, and I think rightly so. I think I needed to go through that crisis of faith and needed to double check my privilege and needed to say that statement to her out loud. And I think I needed to say that statement right now out loud because the privilege that is out there um, is present, especially for white trans men of color. Because If we pass, right, and I hate the language around passing and all of that stuff, but there's a language present, so I'll use it. I feel
0: the exact same way.
1: Um, If we pass, and even more so if we are stealth, uh, we have the ability to raise up other voices that others don't get and white men in our community i was granted so much privilege without asking for it mind you the trade-off is that women at nights are across the street to get away from me because that's what our culture has shown women should do at night um and that was hard the first time
0: i bet uh, i bet because it was hard for me the first time you know out and proud and, you know, experiencing that angst of, am I being followed? Let me move my yeah. path. Right. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, a, it's an adjustment both ways. Absolutely. But in trade, the fact that nobody asks me if I can afford things. Nobody says, oh, do you need more help on this? Nobody questions me about my intelligence. People don't blink twice when I say, you know, that... I have a college degree in something else, but I have worked in the field to be able to master this and that. And before when I said that, it was so frustrating that people would say, oh, well, you know, you should consider going back for a degree then because it's always good to learn more information. Nowadays, I have people say, oh, wow, that's really cool that you've learned so much on the road. That's awesome. Have you considered going back for a degree, or is that not what you're interested in? And I'm like, the only thing that's changed, other than adding a few years, is my gender. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting to me, and that's,
0: that's a very interesting take on the uh, uh, male privilege. Uh, the mentality that's there uh, oh, yeah. to, to put it that way, because you know, let's face it, I was, that's how I was born. I'm, you know, born a white male yeah. and, and lives, you know, a good 40 years before really accepting and embracing my, you know, transgenderness or gender queerness, gender fluidness, you know, bigender gender, how, however the label is, you know, it's an ever evolving thing as I discover myself. And, you know, that was, I embraced it more in my thirties and then, totally embraced it in my early 40s. And so hearing it from someone who had it thrust upon them, as you put, is putting mine in check, you know. I mean, really, I mean, you know, because I got a big, you know, a big wake-up call when, when I did come out. But it's still growing and evolving on my perspective of that. And so to hear you put it in your words... It's so fucking powerful, Lee. All right, that's going to do it for this week, the first part of my conversation with Lee Harrington. I hope you enjoyed it so far. Come back next week when we'll have part two of my conversation with Lee Harrington. Check him out on Twitter, at Passion and Soul. Check out his podcast, Passion and Soul. Go check out his book, TraversingGender.com. And of course, Lee, thank you again. All right, there we are. There's the closing show music. As I said, next week, we're going to continue on with part two of my conversation with Lee Harrington. I'm always looking for guests. I'm always looking for topics. Send them to me, changesinlatitudespodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash changesinlatitudespodcast, and consider becoming a patron of this show. And now, as Jimmy Buffett says, If I couldn't laugh, I just would go insane. If we couldn't laugh, we just would go insane. If we weren't all crazy, we would go insane. So, stay crazy, everyone. Take care of yourself. Take care of somebody else. And I'll see you next week. You've been listening to Changes in Latitudes, a transgender experience. I'd love to hear from you. So let me know what you think or what you'd like to hear about by emailing me at changesinlatitudespodcast at gmail.com or by leaving a comment on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash changesinlatitudespodcast or at the website changesinlatitudespodcast.blogspot.com Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher, and please leave us reviews and star ratings. Now wait for it. Here it comes. Disclaimer I am not a doctor nor a lawyer, and I certainly do not pretend to be one. I am a trans woman who began her transition later in life. I am here to discuss my life, so I take no responsibility for your decisions based on my personal thoughts and experiences. If you are thinking about transition, or are questioning your gender identity... First, please know that you are not alone in your thoughts and questions. Second, please seek the advice of a qualified gender therapist or at the very least a local support group. If you're having difficulty finding a qualified professional in your area, I suggest reaching out to the closest LGBT center near you. And lastly, please remember, always question the source when researching information on the internet. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no-derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less-than-complete reproduction requires permission from the host. Copyright 2016 by me, Charlie Sabrina Miller. Thanks for listening. Here's the end. Thank you for stopping by. And remember...